Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Last First Date Radio, featuring interviews with experts in dating, relating, and mating in midlife. And now, here's your host, Sandy Weiner. Hello, everybody. This is Sandy, and welcome to Last First Date Radio, the place to be for creating healthy, lasting, loving relationships in midlife. Today, I am going to be speaking with teacher, coach, speaker, Robert Kandel, about the power of being honest in dating, telling the truth. And what is truth anyway? So we're going to explore all of that in just a few minutes. Um, But I just want to say that um, I've been focusing my work now in a different direction. I'm still doing dating coaching, but I realized that the core work that I do with clients to help them build confidence in, in themselves, to show up differently in life in general, really is the part that excites me the most. And so I am creating a new website called The Women of Value because that has been my focus for the last few years is helping women step into their value. So if you want to become a woman of value, I help you bring I help bring a tip every single week to help you do that. And this week's tip is step number 13 in my 30 steps, which is love your body. I really it's like amazing how many people really not just don't love their body, they loathe their bodies. And we are given these one this one body and just, you know, I want to encourage all of you to stop being so critical of the body that you have. And what, what helps me is to just realize how grateful I am that I have a body, that it works. And, um, you know, and just to really honor the temple that holds all of the beautifulness of who you are inside it. So um, be kind. Be kind to yourself. Be kind to others. If you're not already a member of my private Facebook group, which is called Your Last First Date, I invite you to join us. The conversation there is very positive. There's no man bashing allowed. We have about 2,300 members, and it's not easy to um, to create a non-chaotic, non-man bashing group with that size. And so I have seven monitors who all really help me keep the group safe and supportive um, so that we can all be there for each other because dating at this age is not easy. Relationships are not easy, but having community is so essential. So join me at your last first date. And um, now I'm going to tell you about Robert. Robert Kendall is has been hailed as part football coach, part loving dad, and part slightly crazed drill sergeant. He has spent the last 16 years helping people build better relationships through more honest, authentic connections. He co-founded One Taste in 2004, taking on the challenging task of bringing conscious sexuality to the mainstream market. He left that company in 2014 to start his own consulting firm, helping small businesses. Robert's also an accomplished teacher, coach, and lecturer, and he brings his enthusiasm and acumen to his weekly podcast, Tough Love, on subjects subjects around relationships, intimacy, communication, and gender dynamics. So join me now for episode number 302, The Power of Telling the Truth on Your Dating Journey. Welcome to the show, Robert. Thank you so much. I'm really happy to be here. 
Happy to have you on another podcaster. Um, Indeed. So, yes, let's talk about truth. And first, can you define what truth is in this context? Well, truth is is a very um, personal thing because we all come in to seeing something with our own baggage, our own filter, our own history, how we view things, what we let in, uh, what we don't let in, what we confront and non-confront. And so a teacher of mine would say the opposite of a truth is another truth. So if I'm sitting over here saying this is blah, 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 it could be the other person just has their own version of it. And so we often get mad, you lied or you didn't say that or, you know, there's all this thing about lying. But really truth is your perception of what's happening in every moment. Oh. Here we just had a little heated discussion in my Facebook group about people with differing opinions. And mm-hmm. <clears throat> I think one of the one of the biggest, most contentious things you can do in relationship is have right or wrong thinking. And when you look at it this way, that we just all have our own truths and it's okay to mm-hmm. have different opinions. So uh yeah, what do you what do you think about about that, you know, this right or wrong thinking? There's well there's I would take the lens back slightly. So there's two ways to engage with someone if you want to do two ends of the extreme. One would be what I would call collaborative, the other was I would call antagonistic. And all mm-hmm. the grays in between the collaborative and antagonistic. And so if you're going more towards the antagonistic way of relating, you're looking for a fight. You're looking for differences. You're looking for, uh, that's not me, you did that. There's a separation between you and the other person. If you approach it more from what I call a collaborative aspect, we're co-creating. You know, what I did to co-create that situation or how I can see that side of the equation, this is mine, Let's, let's find a mutual ground. A lot of people, especially in society, when they feel threatened, when part of them feels upset, they move much closer to the antagonistic, creating more distance. And what I recommend and what teach people is even in the worst moments, even in the most painful uh, situations, see if you can move more to a collaborative, connective conversation to find resolution. Uh-huh. That's a nice distinction, collaborative and antagonistic. Um, and I th- and it's like a defensiveness that when I th- when people feel that they've been hurt, they often want to hurt back, um, mm-hmm. and so it's that kind of right or wrong thinking that creates arguments that are very hard to resolve because people are in two different camps, and that actually it feels like you're slamming a door in somebody's face instead of trying to mm-hmm. connect. Well, most people also tend to get victimized very easily. And what I mean by victimized specifically is when you're not willing to take responsibility. And I'm of the viewpoint that no one in the world has ever made you feel any way. So we say like, you know, you hurt my feelings or you did this to me or I'm mad because of you or all this dramatic thing that people say. What I what I see and my viewpoint is is that people create stimuli, and sometimes that stimuli is cruel. Sometimes that stimuli is hurtful. Sometimes that stimuli is um, selfish. But it's always on us and how we interpret the stimuli. It's always on us on how we relate to it. 
So people often blame the other person, you made me feel this way, but really that's disempowering to you. And so what I teach people is, okay, they provided some pretty awful stimuli. Now you, what do you want to do? And now what do you want to do? And now we always have choice down the line. Uh-huh. Yeah, I agree. I think also this, this, um, the triggers that we have are based on our, our history. So mm-hmm. we, we, we hear something and we immediately think something. We make meaning. Totally. To, we, totally. We We're meaning making meaning, machines. Right? Yep. Yes. I totally agree with you. Yeah. So, um, so how, I mean, so it's, it's nice to say all this, but what happens mm. is people need to process, right? So how, how do they get to the point of, oh, I'm, I'm at choice? How, how do they get there? Well, it's a word that I use for many things, and it's, it's an awful word and a wonderful word. The word is practice. And you just need to, you know, we, we practice to learn to play piano. We practice art. We practice golf. You know, we practice all these things. We invest our time and energy to get better at something. So if you want to learn to handle your triggers, to handle your emotions, to be have more acumen with your feelings, have mastery, to be able to um, be in really challenging environments, it's practice like anything else. And so, you know, we often pick partners consciously or subconsciously in areas we want to grow or childhood wounds. You know, there's a big Maggio and, you know, getting the love you want, Harville Hendricks, you know, item. So we often pick people or magnetize people into our lives. So the first thing I always do is like take responsibility or see how you've co-created this relationship, how you've invited challenging or dramatic things into your life, and then just be like, I'm going to make a practice, maybe through gritted teeth, but I'm going to make a practice so I can get better and better at handling challenging situations. Hmm. Yeah, I, I totally I love the whole Imago thing, and I think that it, mm-hmm. there's so much truth about this. And most of the time it's very unconscious, mm-hmm. but... These are our greatest teachers, and we are able to work through all this stuff with partners. And I think this is also um, just makes me think of another topic, which is that a lot of people think they have to do all this healing before they're in relationship. And Mm -hmm. I believe that you should do healing, but also that you continue to heal with the right partners. And um, what do you have to say about, like, do you have to come already cooked for that relationship to work? Or... You know, is, is, there, is there a lot of value in, in working through stuff with a partner? I think coming all the way cooked or healed, I think that's a fallacy and a dangerous fallacy. I don't uh-huh. think, you know, it's like we'll never reach the point of enlightenment. Who would want to? Why do we want to ever want to stop learning or growing or getting better at things? So it's not so much the, you know, we, ha- we come in with these, you know, cooked feeling. You know, the best way to walk into a relationship is the skills to handle the dynamic evolution that happens inside relationships. To say, okay, you know, I'm falling in love. I'm risking my heart again. You know, there's a possibility I might get heart, but I have the skills when the bumps in the road hit that I'll be able to handle it. And I'll, or I'll have a support uh-huh. system that if I'm with a partner that challenges me. I have my girlfriends or my guy friends, my therapists 
my social groups, your group, your Facebook group. I know I know I can go there. If my guys drive me crazy, I don't know what to do. So it's a mixture of building your ability to face challenges and also having the support when you're out of your range, when you feel isolated, that you have someone to go to so you can feel supported. Mm, that's a really good answer. I think that um, there is a real danger in waiting so long to get back into dating that there's mm-hmm. so much fear that builds up that people just avoid it. And I've seen a Completely. lot of that. Yeah. Um, so what, what are some of the other, some of the challenges in, in the dating world today when it comes to, well, anything? I mean, <laughs> what do you see as some of the challenges? Well, I think everything is more challenging now than it was, you know, 15, 20 years ago. Um, I think it's a really rough time, and I think it's going to get rougher for a while. I think the advent of social and app, apps have made things worse uh, in terms of levels of intimacy. And what I mean by this specifically is that in our swipe left, swipe right world, people know that there's a plethora of options. And whereas you know, 20, 25 years ago, it was harder to have options, and now it's like on your phone – with 10 million other people in your region or your state that you can connect to. So people are hitting road bumps. And instead of riding through the road bump, through the challenges, they're leaving, especially men, they're leaving, picking up their phone, launching Tinder, and starting all over again. There's sort of this um, willingness to figure out the bigger and better deal is somewhere on the phone and avoiding and missing out on a lot of opportunities of growth and intimacy. Mhm. I agree with you. I think that's the paradox of choice that we have so mm-hmm. many choices that people end up not choosing and not going deeper. Um and I think also we're not communicating. You know, we have mm-hmm. texting instead of talking. Mhm. And I I I instruct women to be assertive, like just say I don't connect well through text, especially as I'm getting mm-hmm. to know somebody. You know, just ask for what you want. Do you have any tips for, you know, how to how to combat some of the obstacles we have today? I I think it's hard. I think another piece of the puzzle, um, and I work a lot with men. I've done a lot of research with men. Uh, men, what's happening in society is women are really becoming more empowered on a lot of different levels. Uh, if you look at the pay grade, you look at uh, people getting married later, having kids later. The whole dynamic of romance has changed in the last one or two generations. And what I'm seeing is women are becoming more powerful, and men are actually at the point of giving up. And they're like, I'm just going to go to my video games. I'm going to go to my porn. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to step up. And so I think there's a real um, wake-up call for men to stand up and say, I'm not sure how to interact with a powerful woman. And there's a wake-up call for women to be a little more patient and understand the challenges they go through in this evolving world. Um, So I think that's a really important piece that's not being talked about enough. Um, There's a lot of statistics that are showing how it's challenging for a man to feel like a man in today's society. Yeah, I I actually speak about this a lot because I agree with you. I think... A lot. I see the women in my group who are like, you know, I'm not going to initiate, you know, initiate anything, and I want a man to chase me, and if I can't, mm-hmm. if he won't pursue me, and it's like, 
there's so many mixed messages and they 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 can't stand it when a man seems weak or he, you know, wants a woman to pay for a date and there's just mm-hmm. so much confusion out there and I think that again, this is like a communication thing. I, I think that we have to number one be educated about each other. We have to understand mm-hmm. who we are. We also have to speak up and ask for what we want. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, with all the the consent, you know, that's also something that's gotten completely out of control. I know this isn't the topic of today's show, but it's okay um, because mm-hmm. it's an important thing. I think when with consent, I think a lot of times men will come off as being scared to do anything. They have to ask permission. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that's what consent is about. I think consent is ideally where two people talk together about what each each wants, and they honor each other's preferences instead of imposing or assuming. To me, that's that's the ideal consent. Well, how do you feel about mm-hmm. that? Absolutely, it's funny. I was just writing about this uh, in the book I'm working on. Um, this. This concept of confusing because women are like, I don't want them to ask me everything, but then men are being called out into society as as rapists because they were mis they didn't have enough attention on her during her date. So there's a mm-hmm. lot of mixed messages, and men are really just like, it's not worth it. I don't want to you know end up on the cover of a newspaper or Time. Like there's a lot of fear around there, and so I I actually am a really big fan of something I saw in a movie called Hitch, uh, the Will Smith method. Uh-huh. I don't know if you've ever seen that movie, but yeah. I loved it when he, he talked about kissing and he talked about uh, Kevin James leaning in 90% and waiting for mm. the woman to cross the lead 10%. I think that's an incredible analogy of how men can have both to show both the initiative and the desire, because women do like that, but also letting her cross that last 10% which is a form of consent. It informs the man, yes, I'm on the right direction, not just to grab, but to go 90% so she can feel his desire and then give her the choice to respond. Mm, that's great. I never, I never really looked at that in terms of consent, but I also really mm-hmm. like that part. It's a great movie. Um, yeah, I think that's, that really captures it because I think that women women want a man who takes charge to some degree mm-hmm. and isn't just waiting for a woman to instruct him on everything. And, and I think women, mm-hmm. especially the women who come to me, they've been doing so much for so long that they don't want to do everything. I'm clear when yeah, I'm dating again after divorce and I carried the weight of my marriage, um, you know, the weight of, of a lot of the decision making. And I don't, I don't want to do that in all my relationships. You know, I do it at work. I run my own business, and I tell men, I, I mm. like, I love when a man makes a plan. Like, that's really attractive mm-hmm. to me. It doesn't mean he has to make every plan, but it means that when I get home, I don't want to make every decision anymore. I want it to be more mm-hmm. collaborative, and I want I want him to also make some of the plans because it, it's I'm exhausted. Mm-hmm. Well, I tell men. Here's the best trick or technique here. Offer a woman a menu. So sometimes you'd be like, you know, a guy will say, where do you want to go to dinner? And the woman's like, I don't know. And then the man has two choices. One, he can just push it back on her or make a decision and take the risk of it. There's a middle spot. And the middle spot is offering her a menu. 
Okay, great. Do you know what genre of food do you want? Do you want Asian? Do you want salad? Do you want American? Do you want Italian? Oh, Asian. And I'm like, okay, cool. And then he'd be like, oh, there's this new faux place we talked about, remember, a few weeks ago? And she's like, yeah. And so all of a sudden, it's not the man putting the responsibility on the woman, but it's a collaborative thing where he's holding the weight but doing it with her. And the chances of both of them being happy at the restaurant skyrocket. And uh-huh. so you can take that analogy to everywhere. You can take it to, like, just showing effort. Women, are, women do not want to be mothers to their partners. They, they feel maternal. They feel love. They want mm-hmm. to take care of their partners, but they don't want to be a mother. My, my wife talked about her first husband as a third child. And as, mm-hmm. it was horrible <laughs> because she was taking care of him along with their two kids. And so I worked yep. very hard not to be a child. I took very mm-hmm. hard to take care of her, take care of myself, handle my emotions, be connective, let her lead times, I lead other times, and then in the collaboration, there's so much more power, enjoyment, and intimacy. Mm. I like the idea of taking turns leading and taking care of your emotions. You said two really important things there. Um, it's you know, so here's another thing. A lot of women complain about this mommy mommy thing, and mm-hmm. I certainly was in that spot too. But after my divorce, when I started taking responsibility for all of my actions and thoughts and, and words, I realized that I co-created that space. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the more what happens is, and I think, you know, you talked about the leaning in and the leaning back, I think often when somebody doesn't come through for you, you start leaning in more and more and more, Mm -hmm. and then the space closes up. And so one person ends up carrying the weight, and the other person says, well, I don't have to do anything. This person's going to do everything. So Mm -hmm. if you want to, you know, create this, if you want somebody to step up, you've got to lean back and make the space. And you've got to ask for what you want. So it's, you know, it's a combination. Your wife told you that she doesn't want to be a mother. You take responsibility for your feelings, your needs. I mean, if everybody could do that, we'd have much better relationships. It's true. And so I think the important piece also is I suspect there was some point in the beginning of the relationship where you felt this is happening and you thought it was, you knew it was an issue, but you didn't talk about it. You didn't communicate it. On some level, you non-confronted it. And then it happened again, you not confronted it. And then it happened again, you not confronted it. We co-create these things because we're not willing to be honest. We're not willing to risk an argument or a fight or hurting a male ego. And so what we do is we withhold. We live hidden. We live with all this pain on the inside. And that's the detriment. That's the cancer of relationships. Is every time you lie, you take your relationship and set it more towards mediocrity. So I counsel couples to say the truth as, as clear as you can say it in the moment. If you need time to process it, that's fine too, but have as quick as possible to bring what's inside out so there's not this baggage. And so there's no chance of resentment because you said it. And sometimes you have to say it 20 times. Put the toilet seat down. Put the toilet seat down. Put the toilet seat down. Or it'd be really nice if you took out the garbage it would really be nice if you asked me how my day was when you came home. Keep reminding each other, keep educating each other so you don't let the other person off the hook so you never end up in those forms of relating. 
So I have a question about that because if you have to keep mm-hmm. saying it over and over and over, most people give up, and it gets it gets annoying. You feel ignored, and mm-hmm. you can build resentment that that person doesn't think your need is important enough. So something that I learned, I think, from Alison Armstrong, I'm pretty sure, um, was to the, give the meaning ever. to the request. Mm-hmm. What was that? Oh, of course. The best ever. Love Alison Armstrong. Yeah. So like just saying take out the garbage is very different from when you take out the garbage. <laughs> you know, it makes me feel so supported and mm-hmm. it makes me really happy, um, mm-hmm. which is a much different motivator than take out the damn garbage. I told you 85 times already. What's wrong with you? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So do you have any other any other tips in terms of making a request so that a person can hear it better? Mm-hmm. Yes. I, you know, I took a shortcut. I totally agree with you. To, to share with your partner the motivation behind the request is of paramount importance. And so Sometimes that takes longer, and sometimes that's even more vulnerable and challenging. If you have a secret desire that you have shame about and you want to ask your partner about it, they're going to feel your shame. They're going to feel your doubt. And so sometimes you have to you know, take the leap. He might reject me. She might not understand. Or she might think that's really weird or dangerous or something. And so you know, we get into relationships, and then we hide these parts of ourselves. So the thing I recommend is if you know you're withholding something from your partner, one is to sit with it first, to get right with your desire. Go to the therapy, do your journal writing, talk to your girlfriend about it. Just get right with your own desire. The second step is is to ask for a clear space without distraction, without kids or cell phones or TV or even music where you could have a conversation about your desire. The third part, uh, which may seem counterintuitive, is to apologize for not revealing this desire in the past. Honey, I've been thinking about this thing for a couple of months. I was scared to tell you this because I was afraid how you'd react, but uh, I think it's really important. Um, And so I just want to apologize for withholding this from you. The next thing is, is to share the desire and the motivation behind it and then be quiet and let your partner have their feelings. Then hear your partner's feelings, listen fully, then you respond to his feelings and back and forth until it gets flat. And if you're willing to take these steps on the things that matter because you want to be closer to your partner, then the intimacy and relationship will grow. That's my framework of how to speak your desire. Hmm. I like that. I'm taking notes. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I, I think that I mean, one of the things that I'm passionate about is, is helping women communicate more effectively. And um, even when, when I will ask a client, what are you feeling? Most people don't even know what a feeling is, you know, and it's, mm. it's I, I feel that he's judging me. That's not a feeling. And it's it's really important to name what's going on and to really get clarity. Um and mm. also when we when we speak up to first know what our intention is. I mean I, I find that also like today I was coaching a client about an issue she was having with her grandson's future 
spouse. And this woman is very combative and reminds her of her mother. And mm. um, so there's all these triggers coming up, and there they had this major power lock, terrible first meeting. And I suggested that she have a private coffee with her, or something to really try to get on a, you know, get off on a better foot. And I said, what, what would you say to her? And she said, I'm going to tell her I'm, I will not be spoken to that way. And I said, okay, well, that's, mm-hmm. that's not going to create the kind of atmosphere that you want. What's your intention? And so her intention at first was just to be defensive and say, you know, don't treat me this way. But mm-hmm. when we started to coach about it, her intention really is to create a better relationship and to connect. Mm-hmm. And I think when you mm-hmm. start out really saying, I care about you, I care about my grandson, I want to have a good relationship, and you start out with kindness, you start out with a, with a positive intention, you're going to have a better experience in that in that conversation. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, that's exactly it. That's the collaborative aspect versus the antagonistic. And sometimes yeah. you have those feelings like, you know, the one partner has been really rude or mean or did something wrong and you have feelings about it. You know, their stimuli mm-hmm. invoke triggers inside of you. Those triggers are right. Those feelings are right. That's the thing. It's like those emotions that get stirred up need to be taken care of. And you don't necessarily need to do that with your partner. I mm-hmm. have a great therapist where I go and spill my guts about a topic. And then we churn it and look at it. He knows me really well, and we pull it apart. And then, bing, the light goes off. And then I go home and talk to my wife about the feelings. And then, she, you know, mm-hmm. it's sort of distilled. It still has electricity, but he's got it from kind of vague to laser focus. Mm-hmm. It's important for her to know the effect that she's had on me or the actions had on me. But she mm-hmm. doesn't need to know all the stuff that's my baggage, my trigger. Unless yeah. it's interesting to her. But the point is is that you can do the external work, honor your feelings, honor your triggers, and then bring it to your partner. Mhm. So important. Well that's a that's a good place to end. Um and mm. um this is such a good conversation, Robert, and I would um love to have our audience know how they can find you. Can you just let them know? Yes. I'm building a new website. It's robertcandell.com. I'll look forward to my old website until it's up in a couple of weeks. Uh, but robertcandell.com, it has my podcast. It'll have uh, a way to get information about my upcoming book. That's due November 5th and a way to pre-order that. Uh, some articles up there and other fun stuff. So everything can be found at robertcandell, that's with a K, dot com. Okay, perfect. And what, what's your new book called? The new book is called Unhidden, a book for men and those confused by them. And it's a pragmatic, it's a pragmatic guide for men how to live in this challenging world. And it's a pragmatic guide for uh, all other genders who love men and want to understand them to kind of get into a man's thinking so she, you know, they can understand what's going on. Sounds great. I can't wait. All right. Well, thank you so much for this wonderful conversation today and for doing the work you do in the world to make it a better place. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Sure. And thanks, everybody, for listening today, and I hope you go on your last first date very soon. Have a great day. Thank you.